in the Bible readings, uh, had been going through First and Second Kings, and uh, significant in those books are the stories of Elijah and Elisha. And as I was reading this time around, one of the things that stood out to me was that, like with a person like Elijah, he has this experience of calling down fire from heaven with the Mount Carmel and the prophets. And then later on, you see him calling down fire on some soldiers that had come to get him. Did that twice. Uh, and then at the very end, you see the chariot of fire connected with this. And on the mountain when he was seeking God, there was fire. And, and, and I was looking at that in, in some ways, once we've had an experience in the Lord, it's easier to expect and anticipate similar things. At least for, that's what I was drawing out of this, that uh, you don't see that kind of behavior through the rest of Scripture, but in this particular guy, you saw his faith, so to speak, working in a, such a way that this was taking place. And you know, I know that God was speaking to him about these things, but I started chewing and saying, okay, what, what things have... I seen and participated in that um, are connected to, you know, a growth pattern, so to speak. You know, where you see it happen once, you believe it, and then it happens again, and, and you're more embracing, and, and you just kind of walk through that, and then there's a confidence that seems to be built. It's kind of like in this church, there's a confidence when people pray with others that they're going to be able to speak something of life to that other person. And we've been walking in that for a number of years, but it's a culture, so to speak, that allows that to flourish. And it's not uncommon anymore. Now, there are other things that it's best for us to go get some help from others because we haven't figured it out yet. You know, I, for me, whenever... I'm wrestling through, a, say, a situation regarding life and death issues or hospital care and that. As often as not, I end up with Catholic theologians because they've been way ahead of the curve of everyone else. And you end up reading their stuff if you're, if you're going to read it. You know. And regularly, you know, I end up going back to Baptists and Methodists and Lutheran commentators because they have the best stuff. You know, and, and so, you know, you go supplement. I, I remember when we were here and our kids were still in high school and, and we didn't have a youth group going here, but the assemblies did. We said, well, go, <laughs> go to that group. It's like some of you have been going to Bethel to, with the children's program. And, you know, why not? Those are valuable things. But it also... It brings us to an appreciation of the body of Christ as a whole, but there's a knowledge in us that says sometimes others have things that we don't, and it's best for us to find out what's going on. And if nothing else, in that setting, our own faith is built up, and sometimes we begin to participate in those gifts as well. Um, I think, you know, when there was a season in my life where I'm going, well, if God wants to speak, he can do it here just as well as anywhere else. And there's a measure of truth in that. He's willing to work in all of us. 
But there are times when he leads us into association with others because he wants us to be aware that the whole body of Christ is bigger than just this place. And so, you know, there's, there are things like that. So when I was reading this again, and I'm noticing that Elijah, there were certain giftings that he seemed to function in, and they kind of were a part of his life. And then when I read about Elisha, it's like it, who had traveled with him and participated with him. And there's a, a company of prophets in different cities, so it's sort of like a prophet's guild. So apparently, even though the country wasn't doing well at that point, and even though the the priesthood wasn't really getting it done. There were believers around. And, and so there's these different groups of prophets and such. And it seemed to be a gift that was strong during that season. And Elijah's the one that raises up. But then Elisha calls out and asks, I want a double portion. And it appears that that's what he received. And, and so then I, I'm looking at that. And uh, I'm already to my conclusion. I'm not letting you off, though. Um, those stories are ours as well. And, and so what's needful is that not only when we read them and say, well, that's nice history, but we can begin to pray into that and say, Lord, what do you want us to see as well and participate in? And they build faith in our own lives. So anyway, I want to go through a few of the things of Elijah and mention some of the stories of Elisha. But the first time that he comes on the scene that we see him in power is he calls for a, a drought on the land. He says, there's not, not going to be rain for three and a half years. And it happens. Now, he's in that setting as well, so he's in a desperate situation. People want to put him to death. He kind of isolates himself by the brook Cherith. And God says, I want you to go there and, and, you know, I'll take care of you. And the ravens feed him. But then the brook dries up and God sends him to a widow who's out of, out of the area. And he gets there and uh, he sees her and he goes, can I have a drink of water? Yeah, I'll get you a drink. And he says, well, bring some bread too. I'm kind of hungry. And she goes, honestly, I... I am fixing the last flour and oil that I have for my son and I. We're going to eat it, then die. He said, well, make some for me first, please. <laughs> that takes faith. <laughs> That's an incredible... Can you say ballsy in church? I don't, I don't know. That's, that's what it is. You know, it, it's... It's an incredible declaration, you know, do this for me. And uh, she does it. And, and so God rewards her with that flour and oil lasting through the rest of the famine. And she provides for Elijah. And, you know, it, it goes on. And so this son of hers eventually uh, dies. And she said, why did you save our lives only for this to die? And Elijah prays for him, and it's unusual. I mean, he climbs on top of the kid three times, but the kid comes back to life, brings him down and says, here's your son. And so as the story goes, then there's this confrontation on Carmel, and uh, 
Elijah wins. You know, the 450 prophets of Baal can't call down fire. Elijah, at the time of the evening sacrifice, it says, has 12 stones put in place for each, one for each of the tribes of Judah, 12 jars of water poured over the thing, and then fire comes down from heaven and, and lights the thing up. And, and so the people go, great is the God, you know, great is our God. And, but that said, you know, Jezebel hears about it, the queen, and she says, you know, if, those prophets, if you're not dead by this time tomorrow, <laughs> you know, I'm going to do everything in my power to kill you. And he takes off running. And he runs, and, and, and eventually he stops, it says, under a broom tree, and he sleeps, and he wakes, and an angel of the Lord feeds him, and he goes back to sleep. There's no challenging him, why are you running, what's going on? It's just he feeds him, takes care of that need, and, and then he feeds him again. But it says in the power of that, he runs for 40 days and 40 nights without food, and he ends up in this cave on a mountain. And again, there are times when it appears that in his humanness, this lonely lifestyle also has him feeling that he's the only one. But he, he, you know, he's waiting and he's looking for the power of the Lord and the presence of God, and the whirlwind comes in and just tears the mountain apart, but God's not in that. And then a fire comes along. And again, the fire thing, and, and, but God's not in that. And an earthquake comes. And again, you know, this, this amazing natural events with God connected, but the presence of God not speaking through that per se. And finally, he's spoken to in a whisper. And he says, you know, he said, well, what are you doing here? What's the matter? Well, I'm the only one left. And he says, no, there's 7,000 who haven't bended their knee to Baal. I'm keeping a remnant. And he sends them back, and he calls them to appoint a couple kings. Again, a supernatural thing. And, uh, you know, so Hazel and Jehu get anointed. But you, you see this man functioning in, in, a, in an astounding way, you know, doing miraculous things and a timing of such things. I mean... Even if you can say God wasn't in the whirlwind, the fact that it was on the mountain at that moment says something to me. The timing is incredible. God's involved in such things. I had, I'll give you an experience I had some years ago. We'd had a, a group come in. I was pastoring in a small church in Wisconsin. We'd had a group come in, a youth group come in from Iowa. And they were doing uh, songs and skits, whatever youth groups do that way. And, and uh, I think it was the first time we'd heard our God is an awesome God. And there's a phrase in there, there's um, thunder, in his, thunder in his footsteps and lightning in his fist, our God is an awesome God. And as soon as I sang that, there's this incredible thunderclap outside and, and everybody just goes, huh? You know, and it was, of course, the kids are ecstatic. God spoke to us. You know, and, and you know, you're going, timing of this, there hadn't been thunder before, there wasn't thunder after that, there was a light rain, but you're just going, I'm, I'm with that timing. That's, that's cool. And, and there was the thing of, well, God works even in nature that way. 
Um, some years later, I had, you know that foundations thing that I'd done? Very long project. Um, it, was, it was important for me to, re to rehash my theology, so to speak, after working um, construction for those years and trying to pastor, because mainly I was living off of what I'd already trained in. And, and God was in that, but when that season was over, it was important for me to get back into Scripture in depth. And uh, so I get done, I'm going, is this, is this really even worth it? You know, is this, you know, I felt like I was done, and, and I went in, and, and God, you know, what? And I, and I did as I do. I opened up my Bible and started reading, and in Ezra, it said the people gave a, a great shout unto the Lord. And I thought, I'm going to do that. I gave a great shout, <laughs> which... <laughs> How often do you hear me shouting? Yeah, only at ball games and very rarely then. I shouted, I'm in the bed, and suddenly there's a thunderclap. I mean, boom, no clouds in the sky. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> I think God's just giving me a word of encouragement. You know, and, and so I, I cling to that. It's funny, last night I'm, I'm going through this, and, and there's the, th you know, that we had thunder last night, and I'm just going, I like the timing of that, you know. But what happens is you, in a sense, develop a confidence when you see things or when there's something inside of you that just says, this is real. There's something of power here, and I don't, I don't understand it. I can't make it happen, but it's consistent enough with my situation that I know I know that I know that God is working through this. And we build on those things, and we also build on the experience of others. It's like when we had a week of prayer here some years ago, and we'd been praying 24-7. We'd been down to Kansas City, and we were doing, you know, or the weekend anyway. And I remember the very end, and, and we'd been, uh, let it rain, let it rain, let the floodgates have, and there was this incredible gentle rain that started outside. And I remember kids all ran outdoors and, and were just glorying in it, you know, and, and you're going, in a sense, this is a physical representation of what God's doing in our hearts even now. And you're going, well, I don't necessarily understand it, but I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm going to appreciate it in the Lord, and I'm going to embrace that he does things like this. You know, we read all these stories through the scripture, and it'd be just foolishness to say, well, it can't happen today. Or it'd be a disgrace to what's actually written to say, God doesn't do things like that now. But rather, it's, they're written for our benefit, that we can grow in it. And, and you know, there are, there are multitudes of gifts. Just like I mentioned, you know, going to other places for theological writing. It, you know, there, it's not just prophetic gifts, and it's not just wisdom, and it's not just, you know, um, the miraculous. But God has things that he's built in each of us. And there are times when we've seen the hand of God, and I guess what I'd encourage you is, 
Are you building on those experiences, or are they just becoming dusty? You know, are you allowing him to take you further into it and develop it, or is it just, you know, a dusty story of the past? Because, you know, if he's opened up an avenue of gifting or ability in you, and he's worked through you before, shouldn't you assume that he would do that again? Or maybe even increase it and cause it to flourish? And so when I was, I was reading through this, and I'm just going, these stories are amazing, but they're not just there for pleasantness. There's a purpose to it. And so, you know, when, when Elijah gets to the end of his life, he's told to anoint these two kings, and he's also told to go seek out Elisha, that, uh, you know, he'll serve you, but also he's going to take over where you left off. And at one point it says, you know, Elisha was one who poured water over the hands of Elijah. You know, he, he served him. In our culture, most of us have never had to do anything without the tap. But in, in cultures where there isn't a tap or a spigot or, or something, to, it's a blessing when somebody takes a pitcher of water and, and pours it so you can wash your hands. And... Elisha was just doing a lot of menial tasks that way as a part of his association. But that said, he was still in training and seeing and hearing the stories. And he's participating with the other prophets around. And, and so when Elijah goes to cross the Jordan in the final stages, he takes his cloak off, wraps it up, smites the river, and it splits. You're going, I don't get it, but it worked. And then as they're walking, it says a whirlwind separates them and the chariots of fire were seen and Elijah is swept up into heaven. And again, you're going, that's amazing. I haven't seen anything like that in my day, but be cool to see it. But I started listing the, the things that Elisha then walked through because he had asked Elijah for a double portion. He says, I want double what you have. I'm not satisfied just to have your experiences. I want my own and I want more. That's a, an amazing declaration. So he takes Elijah's cloak. He's still got to get back across to Jordan. And he says, where is the God of Elijah? Smites the river, walks across. He's walking in what he's seen, what he knows is possible, but now it's having application in his life. And there are many stories. I'm told that there are exactly double the amount of stories of uh, miracles in Elisha's life in comparison to Elijah written in Scripture. I don't know that for sure. I've tried it several times. I've never made the numbers work. I will trust others with that. I just, you know, I get close, but, you know, it's like, is this the miracle or is this? Yeah. I just don't know. But at minimum, there are more recorded, significantly more recorded. And, and he goes on and he does things. Uh, Jericho, the prophets are saying, you know, this is a beautiful city, but the water's awful and nothing grows here. 
He says, okay, bring me some salt. He pours salt in the well, and suddenly things are better. Well, a bowl of salt is not going to fix anything, except that it's this visual of what God is willing to do for them. And a little while later, they're making supper. <laughs> they didn't only have bad water, they had some bad cooks. And a guy put some gourds in it, and suddenly people are saying, there's death in this stew, we can't eat it. He says, well, bring some flour and toss it in, and it'll be okay. And then someone brings him a, a gift of some loaves of bread and some barley, and, and, uh, and he goes, well, feed all the others. And the guy goes, this won't feed 100 people. He said, feed the others, and it, it lasts, and there's leftovers. And, and you see that, but you also see him taking on some of the other things that Elijah had done. There's a story of uh, a, a rich woman uh, feeds him when he comes by, and then she builds a little setting or room for him. And he, he asks the servant, well, what, what would bless her? And he said, well, she doesn't have any children. And so he says, well, next year at this time, tells the lady, you'll have a child. And the child is born. And okay, the child is growing, but then the child dies. And this, is, this isn't just an instant fix. The, the lady has to get together a, a, a servant to take her on a, a, I forget, a horse or whatever. It, it's in material. She has to journey to find Elijah. And they go up on a mount, and, and Elijah sees her coming, sends Gehazi, and he doesn't, she won't tell him what's wrong. And she finally goes, why would you give me a son if he's just going to die? And uh, he said God hadn't revealed to him even what was wrong. So he takes off. He goes to the house. And, and long story short, the child comes back to life, but been dead for a long while. But he'd already heard of resurrection, and he knew it was possible. And, you know, he walks into things, and, you know, he had seen the chariots of fire. One time he's, he keeps telling the king of Israel, well, the king of Syria is waiting to attack you here. Be careful there. And this happens over and over. And finally, the king says, who's the traitor? And it's not a traitor. There's a prophet over there that's telling everything you do. He says, well, let's go get him. And they surround the city. And... Uh, his, Elisha's servant is very worried. And then he goes to Elisha, and Elisha goes, well, Lord, open his eyes. And he sees the host of the Lord surrounding them, chariots of fire and horses. And, and you're going, well, I haven't seen things like that. But this guy heard, uh, saw Elisha, in the supernatural that way. And apparently he was functioning in something that saw as well. And, and so then you just kind of, you're looking at this and going, why shouldn't I see things too? It's like when you hear somebody that has dreams in the Lord and they're, they're saying, this is real. God spoke to me about this through my dream. There's something inside of us that says, well, I want some dreams too. 
And it awakens something in our hearts that opens the door that allows us even to trust that God would speak to us in that way. And so I guess what I'm saying to you is that Elijah set a tremendous example, but he, and that came through into one who was like a son to him in Elisha, not a physical child, but one like a son to him. And he embraced that and took it a step further. But then these stories are for us as well. And Malachi makes the declaration, you know, Elijah's work isn't done. He says, there's one coming like Elijah. And Jesus says, if you can believe it, that was John the Baptist. And so Elijah is having a secondary influence even during Jesus' day. And then you go to the book of James, and James makes a statement. He says, Elijah was an ordinary man like us. And he's encouraging them to have faith in prayer. What's he saying? He says, there, those stories are there for us, but he was ordinary. I, uh, I like, you know, even seeing some of his foibles, so to speak, with this loneliness. I'm the only one left. You know, it, it's, it, that's not a great statement of faith. You know, he, he, in that moment, he's overwhelmed. And yet the Bible includes it, you know, as part of the story. And say, don't give up just because you have a bad day or whatever. You know, don't, don't throw this out because things haven't worked quite the way you thought they should. But he says, Elijah prayed, and things changed. That's what we're to gather from the story. He says, that's available to us as well. And, and I, you may not find any comfort in this, but Elisha, it, there's a little footnote regarding uh, a messenger being sent to him about uh, thing going on, and it says, Elisha was suffering from an illness from which he died. And I was going, this incredible prophet who does all these things dies of an illness? Even the most righteous? I, I, I don't get it, but it, I mean, the Bible paints these people as human. Ordinary like us. So if there's an ordinariness about their lives, there also ought to be the confidence that the supernatural about their lives is also available to ordinary people even today. And that's something that we, we cling to. And we acknowledge the goodness of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we read through these passages and, and we're looking and going, Man, Elijah, he got a lot done. He, he took steps forward in faith that nobody to that point had done. But then Elisha just picks it up and keeps going. And yet we're encouraged, take these examples and use them for yourself. And you pray. Pray with the faith of Elijah. Saw the, the rain stop. Lord, help us, huh? I guess, what have you seen God do? 
Say, in your life. You know, what do you have confidence in that he has spoken to you in at some some point? Maybe it's time to go back to look at that and say, okay, let let me build upon this. And Lord, if you want to take this further, let me see what's next, that a, a, an act of, that faith would, would declare in this. And then maybe, too, what have you seen others participate in in faith that there's an inkling in your heart that maybe that's for you as well? You know, when, when I first got introduced to the contemporary prophetic, it was so fascinating to me. But I went, man, I, I want some of that. And uh, I remember hitting every place that I could find that was participating in it. Just because there was something, there was a hunger in me that just said, if this is real, I want it. And it was amazing. I remember a youth camp in particular where suddenly I was getting insights as to what a man would be praying next over a person. And it was and I'm realizing this is truly coming to me. I didn't, you know, did I even know that that could happen? Well, I, I wasn't sure that it could happen for me. I knew it was happening in others, but I didn't know if it could happen in me. Being in that setting allowed me to begin getting my feet wet. Now, do I function like that every day? No. And, and, and God has giftings in me that are probably more prominent than that. But it's something that at least the door was opened. You know, and it was as I participated with others. So we look around and we say, who do I need to be hanging out with? You know, and whose stuff do I need to be around so that maybe this would flourish in me as well? We thank you for your scripture that speaks life. We thank you for the examples from Scripture, that are given for our benefit. We thank you for the stories of Elijah and Elisha that speak of your powerful work through ordinary people. Help us to have faith that you would speak through our lives as well. Amen. We're going to move into communion. Thank you. (laughs) I encourage you to participate with us as long as you have embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and are seeking to walk in faith with him. Um, I want to note that humility allows a person to say, I need some input from someone else or, or something else. It, it allows us to open the door and say, I haven't got it all together, but I can see something that could be. And uh, so... It's important to just say, where am I at? What's going on? What is needful to be developed? And humility is willing to listen. Um, you know, Elisha pouring water over Elijah's hands. It, it, it's not a mistaken passage. It's just he served what he could, but he knew this was a way for him to grow. And so that's what he did. And uh, as a church, even, it's appropriate to look and say, well, what, what can we do? And how can we learn from others? And uh, 
for each of us, you know, to just say, Lord, what, what, what's your desire in our hearts today? The communion is special because, again, it's Christ coming to earth to die for our sins, to, to show God's willingness to invest in his creation and to pour out for us even though we weren't worthy of it. And, and so, you know, like Isaiah says, by his stripes we are healed. There's something in that that we say, okay, body, soul, mind, and spirit. You know, all of me. That he died so that every facet of my being can participate in his healing. And we, we say, Lord, well, we haven't experienced that fully. Well, we, we want to. And so that's what we pursue in the Lord. We're declaring that his life is a part of us in this act, right? We're declaring that he <laughs> is within us. Like Charlie was saying earlier, there's an opportunity for us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds because of what Christ has done in us. Praise to the Lord. And the musicians, please. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy your hand working in and through their lives. As each one goes into the community, I ask that you give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day.